Welcome to another episode of the Marvel Masterworks Podcast. As always, I am your host, Adam, a.k.a. the Tony Stark of the of this podcast. And with me is my co-host, Donnie, the Emerald Enthusiast, the Venom Enthusiast. Uh, he can either be, well, because I like Donnie and he's a good friend, I'll let him be the Eddie Brock of the, of the podcast. But... Really, he kind of shares a similar look with Obadiah Stane, but you know, uh, we're, we're friends, so <laughs> I, I can't call him that and then call myself Tony Stark. So, you know, uh, we'll stick with Venom. But, Donnie, how are you doing today? All right. What's up, comic book fans? It's the man whose ring runs on fanboy energy, the podcasting machine, the big nerd in green. It's the Emerald Enthusiast here to ask you what if Spider Man had kept the symbiote? Mm-hmm. Uh, we are going to be looking at that five-issue miniseries uh, that explores just that in a minute. But uh, Donnie, there was we did a recording earlier, and I I had alluded to a bit of news that I was going to talk about, but it's more comic related, so I didn't. Yes. I thought it was it was an awesome recording, by the way. You should watch that right here on Multiverse Musings, the big cast. Yeah, I mean, you'll see me uh, screw up the ending, and uh, in between, <laughs> and in between, we go off on several tangents. It's fun, um, but so the news is that apparently the estate of Steve Ditko has filed uh, some sort of copyright or, or some some sort of rights termination for uh, you know characters that he co-created so like spider-man i think dr strange dr. is in strange, there yes, yes. Um, falcon mm-hmm. is in there there's a whole host of characters and so now, as a result, Marvel or, or Disney slash Marvel is suing for full full rights of those characters, right? So a lot of fandom I've, I've seen are, oh, my God, uh, there, there are two sides. There, 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 there's one side that's saying, well, screw, screw the band, screw Disney, not, not Becky Lynch, but, you know. Screw <laughs> Disney and the big corporation, and and, uh, and you know, and then you get the other side is oh my god, you know, D- Disney could lose the rights to the characters, the MCU as we know it could be you know demolished, and I'm like, oh folks, did you read the article, or did you read the headline? Because my guess is. Three quarters of these people reacting on either side of the fence just read the headline. Right. Yeah. And the reason I say this is because there is a specific quote in that article, which is from the Hollywood Reporter that, that reported the story. Mm-hmm. That let me. I'm gonna. I'm going to pull it up here in a second. Here it is. Um, It says, uh, if if the plaintiffs win, 
the plaintiffs being the Ditko estate. Right. Disney expects to at least hold on to the rights as co-owners. <laughs> the studio would have to share profits with the others. Additionally, the termination provisions of copyright only apply in the United States, allowing Disney to continue to control <laughs> and profit from foreign exploitation. So, folks, anybody telling you that they're going to lose the rights to Spider-Man and all these other characters and the MCU is, you know, going to cease to exist if, if no more movies or et cetera, et cetera, if, if, if the Ditko State wins. That's not the case at all. Do you want to know my take on this whole situation, Donnie? Yeah, go ahead. Here's my take. And it's, it's a two-pronged take. Do I believe that that create that the creators of these characters are owned, especially when they break out and become, you know, mega moneymakers like you know Spider Man, Iron Man, you know, mm-hmm. on the other side of the ledger, Superman, Batman? Do I believe they're owed, you you know, their fair amount? Absolutely, a hundred percent. So I'm I, I support the creators in that endeavor. But Disney is not, at the same token, is not this evil monster trying, you know. Look, in the past, did Marvel kind of shortchange their creators in the amount that they paid them? And on the other side of the equation, DC as well? Yeah. yeah we, we, know, the, we know that's happened in the comic industry before. Like, yes. Yeah, like, yes, no question. But, you know, to say that, oh, Disney is only doing this for greed and for profit and for money. Um. Folks, do you think the Ditko estate is doing this uh, to to preserve the good name of Steve Ditko? No, they're not. You know why they're doing it? The same reason Disney's doing it. Money. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, for me, I, I think that's what it comes down to is that the Ditko family wants a bigger slice of the pie and they'll probably get it, you know. Yeah. And so that I think that's what's going to happen here is that you'll see some negotiating and they will – get a compensation level where they feel like they can continue to let Spider-Man, you know, be used in all these projects. At the end of the day, money is going to be exchanged. They'll work out some sort of arrangement and nobody's going to lose anything. So all this hyperbole, all this hoopla, all the tweets, all the clickbait articles are all for naught. Right. The same thing happened with Jerry Siegel, Joe Schuster, and DC. And we're still getting Superman comics. Mm-hmm. We're still getting live-action Superman TV. Supposedly, we're going to get more Superman movies. So, the same thing's going to happen here. Let's relax and right. let's be reasonable. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, now that, they really were shortchanged by DC, and they never got fairly compensated. They got better compensation towards the end of their lives, but again, that's right. a whole different yeah. scenario. And again, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not disputing the fact that in the past. Timely Marvel and and DC on the other side of the equation, short change. They're 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 you know creators. So so you know, but but at the, at, by the same t- now, you're a work you're a work for hire. So what what work for hire means is that 
you, what you create for that company is the property of that company, correct? Mm -hmm. So in that sense, it's like, well, you know, Spider-Man was created for Marvel Comics. Yeah, and I saw it was uh, Jamal Eagle who, you know, again, very famous comic book artist. He said that there's a copyright actually in Amazing Fantasy 15 that you can clearly see. So it would be hard for the Ditko family to say that Marvel doesn't own Spider-Man. Yeah. You know? Yeah, or any of the characters that Steve Ditko helped co-create during his time as a work-for-hire uh, creator at Marvel Comics. Yeah. Like, this is why Mark Millar went off and created Miller World, because he owns all of those all of those characters. Now, he sold them to part of Netflix, so he's he's basically he and the company you know work for Netflix now. But still, he he you know the creator owned means the creator has full control and can do what they want. That's not what Spider Man, Daredevil, you know, uh, Doctor Strange. Batman, Superman, et cetera, et cetera, are. They're work-for-hire creations. Ergo, they are owned by Marvel and DC Comics, respectively. Mm -hmm. So, you know, yeah. they're both sides to the story. People need to take a measured approach when dealing with this thing. It's not one side, yeah, this isn't a wrestling match. You know, it's not, you know, Kenny Omega or Brian Danielson. It's <laughs> like, on, money's going to be exchanged and everybody, and even in a wrestling match, <laughs> I mean, folks, it's spoilers. It's predetermined. Okay, so you know that either. But anyway, I digress. So everything will work it out, work itself out. People will be paid. Nobody's going to lose anything. And now we can move on. Now we can move on. Okay, so we are going to review the Spider Shadow. This is a five-issue what-if story, and. The writer is Chip Zadarsky. The inker, as well as penciler, is Pascal Ferry. The colorist is Matt Hollingsworth. The letterer is VC Joe Carmenga. And the editor is Wilson Moss. Okay. So it actually... Well, mm -hmm. Very, very well. He, this actually starts, and you see this in issue one. It says that this takes place around Amazing Spider-Man number 258. And so we see kind of a familiar, a lot of familiar um, events and backdrops in this issue. Right. So what we see here is Peter is still with the symbiote in this issue, but he's losing sleep over the question of why so many of his loved ones die if he's doing the best as, as a hero. So he goes to Reed Richards, at their Baxter building for help. And again, this should be something that should be very familiar to you if you're a longtime Spider-Man reader. Right. However, we see the point of divergence here is that he refuses to take the symbiote off at this point. He decides that it's too important, it's a living being, and he wants to keep it. So later on in this issue, Hobgoblin has actually tracked Peter to his home. And during the battle, there's a fire, and Peter, Aunt May, is, is in the house. And Peter tries to help, but of course the symbiote holds him back. Remember, the symbiote is vulnerable to heat and fire. Yeah, fire, yeah. 
And so Aunt May is trapped and killed. So then Peter starts down this road of ending his villains, and he starts by crushing Roderick Kingsley's head. And so that's how issue number one ends, is that... So, go ahead. Yeah. No, so the interesting thing for me about this is that when when Peter has the, the, the symbiote, you know, the black suit on, I like, I, I do dig his attitude. Mm-hmm. Uh, like even his... Even his um, quips are have a little bit more. They're more, the, yeah, they're, they're edgy, I mean? yeah. Uh, but you still see Peter Parker in there when he's talking to that that lady that he saved, the older lady that he saved. You know, he's right. very respectful. He, so, so it's still he's still you know in there, uh, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, going going to in terms of him having you know basically. Nightmares about, you know, look, I'm doing the best I can, but I'm surrounded by death. You know, Gwen, Uncle Ben, uh, Captain uh, Stacy, et cetera, et cetera. You know, for all his problems, Peter's problems, you know, rent, you know, as as Mr. Ditkevich says. If he doesn't come through the multiverse in No Way Home, I'm going to be upset. He, he better be one there. Of those, one of those rooms will just say, rent! And then, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but um, you know, all those, those everyday problems aside, the amount of loss that he's had to incur would naturally take a mental toll on, on him. So, so I like that he's like, like it sh- again, it underscore or underscores Peter's humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that he went to you know Reed Richards for help, but he made the point of saying, like I don't know what else, like I've, I've I've tried to come up with reasoning, tried to explain it myself, and I can't, so I need to go to so that like there's the they made the point of saying, look, I tried. To figure that, to figure this out on my own. Mm-hmm. But I need somebody, even on another level, intellectually, to kind of help me figure it out. Right. So, I, like, it wasn't just, oh, I'll just ask, you know, in this case, Reed. Whereas, if this was the MCU, he wouldn't have even said, oh, I tried to figure this out on my own. He would have just been, can I talk to Mr. Stark? You know, <laughs> you know that's would have been the situation. So, so I like that they made the effort of. In, in the dialogue, trying to say that he tried to work this out himself, but he couldn't. Yeah. Uh, and then, in terms of Hobgoblin and Aunt May, man, I was gutted to see Aunt May die. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, li- I like that old lady. Right. Well, yeah. <laughs> it, I mean, it was meant to rock you, and yeah. it actually it did. Yeah. It, it did. And you even see that Hobgoblin kind of starts to you know kind of stagger away and realizes that things like, I didn't mean too, to do that yeah he, he didn't mean to do that things went too far yeah and I want to point out here before we go further Spider-Man at this point starts to look more alien like and he's kind of technically venom at this point 
But I don't want to confuse anybody, so I'm not going to start calling him Venom because not only I, I don't want to confuse people when it comes to that character, but we also have Eddie Brock later I on in the story. Because <laughs> <you know, Vader. laughs> oh, I don't know the kids do this this name melding all the time. I don't know what the hell it is. <laughs> It's not my fault they came up with this stupid stuff. I just fell in love with the trends. But I wanted to point that out because at the end of this issue, it's not just Spider-Man going back to a black costume. He starts to look more like, he looks more spider-like. He looks more like Venom. You start to see that transformation. Mm -hmm. So speaking of, uh, issue number two is actually my favorite cover. It's a horror-themed cover with MJ has a knife, and around the corner is is Spider-Man you know, wearing this kind of spider-like looking costume. Yeah. And she's holding a knife and it's the whole cover is kind of wrapped in it's these red and blue hues. Oh, the and, covers were great for this. Yeah, series, yeah. So. That was my favorite of the five. So now this issue opens with a philosophical debate between Peter and the symbiote. And it's interesting. You see that Peter's boxes, and I mean exposition boxes here, they're these white exposition boxes, and they're contrasted with the black exposition boxes of the symbiote. Mm. And one of the things the symbiote says, and this gives you the complete kind of outlook of the way the symbiote sees things. He says, things live, things die, things forfeit their right to live. So this kind of deals with the, the nature of lethal force and what constitutes a just kill. That's what Peter and the symbiote are kind of having this philosophical debate about. Yeah, yeah. Now, the story pivots, and we see that Kingpin is very concerned about Spider-Man becoming a killer. And we also see, excuse me, J. Jonah Jameson is convinced that this proves his long-held feelings about Spider-Man, that Spider-Man's a bad guy. See, so two, I told you so, you know. Two like things, Donnie, just before you continue. When 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 Peter and the symbiote are having that philosophical debate, mm-hmm. I can't help but hear the Venom voice from the Venom movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so in my head, I'm trying to do the voice because that's what I hear when I'm reading it. <laughs> and then J. Jonah James, all I hear is J.K. Simmons going out and saying, Yep. Well, we, we, we all get, you know, those inner voices as we're exposed to various things in media yeah, yeah, and then yeah, they play their way. So yeah. um, actually, I believe on our very first podcast, I said that uh, Danny Dark, who voiced Superman in the Super Friends cartoon in the 70s, I still hear that voice, you yeah. know, 40 plus years later. So yeah. anyway, back to the story. Spider-Man breaks into the bugle and he's had enough of, you know, JJJ's assault on his character. And he actually breaks <laughs> J. Jonah Jameson's hand <laughs> yeah. in brutal fashion. It looks like a Greco-Roman knuckle lock, but he just squeezes and destroys his hand. I would like to see the scene in live action with J.K. Simmons. <laughs> I can only imagine what he would say. <laughs> he also threatens to come back. He's like, cut it out or I'm going to come back and I'll break the other hand. <laughs> so, ooh. so later on we see that Mary Jane finds Peter sleeping above his bed in this kind of gigantic spider web that Mm. the the symbiote has created. And again, you're seeing at this point, Peter looks more spider-like in not only his extremities, but the mask that he's wearing. Yeah, 
Yeah. So at this point, Wilson Fisk has sent several villains after Spidey, and Spidey suffocates the scorpion. He rips off Shocker's arm, and then he seemingly kills Fisk in just what is a, an extremely gruesome scene. He punches into Fisk's face and seemingly kills him. Again, we don't see Fisk on panel, but we see like actually parts of his face, his teeth kind of coming off of his face in bits. You see these kind of nasty little gobbets around Spider-Man's hand. So, yeah, they they went like, like when when they inferred that Spider-Man had gotten more violent and sort of they were not kidding. Uh, out of control. Like, they, they they took extra effort to show it. And the art, you know, Pascal Ferry's art really gets the message across. So the next thing we see is that the Sinister Six, as a move of self-preservation, they've decided to go after Spider-Man. And it says Doc Ock, the Rhino, Craven, Electro, Mysterio, and J. Jonah Jameson. Mm. but the big surprise to the end of this issue and obviously i really liked it one of ox henchmen turns out to be eddie brock and mm. he actually kills otto octavius and he says i can't let you kill spider-man that's my job so he becomes so he becomes a character i love the name brock ock yeah i love it <laughs> So issue number three, actually, we see the Sinister Six now, including Brock Ock. Uh, love that name. And they wait for Spider-Man in like a remote location near a wooded area. We also see that the Fantastic Four and the Avengers know that Spider-Man's becoming a problem at this point. So Spidey has killed the Beetle as well. And that's how he learns the location of the Sinister Six. So what do you think of that opening scene there? It's just, it really is like when you see, you know, there's something about seeing Spider-Man kill that is just jarring. Um, um, so it really sets the table for, man, things things really are like that one decision. Things really have changed here. Well, he makes that one decision. And after that, every time he kills, it gets easier. It becomes second nature. Yeah. And that's why this is such a common theme in superhero comics is that once you take that leap, then you go over to another side of the fence and it's hard to come back. Yeah, yeah. So So but, however but, but the same token also too, one of my fears as I as I kept reading, you know, the first couple of issues was are they just gonna make like is this just gonna become essentially a venom comic? Because mm-hmm. I have no problem with that, but but the what if concept is it's supposed to be different, right? right? right. And it was because I I find that even even this was darker and more serious than what we see in Venom comics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and and I'll say too, the first issue it was competent, but it kind of played out the way I thought it would. Once issue number two comes into play there start to be a lot of twists that I couldn't predict. And that's what I liked. Yeah. I didn't want to like be able to predict that's everything that was going to happen. Of yeah. the what if concept is, is that it can go to places that you're not expecting and you want it to. Yeah, exactly. That's why you want a series like this. 
So even with all the technology and coordination, and again, the Sinister Six has laid this trap for Spider-Man, they're still overmatched. He still gets the best of him. He goes underground, literally, and starts to pick them off from underground using the tendrils of the symbiote. That was cool, yeah. Yeah, that, that again, that's not what I expected there. So finally, Craven and J. Jonah Jameson wearing a Spider Slayer suit, they're able to push Peter into this barn that has been lit on fire. And again, the symbiote is weak, uh, is, is one of its weaknesses is fire. Right. So, however, Peter reveals his face to J. Jonah Jameson, who obviously knows Peter and and likes Peter. And so he gets Peter out of the barn. And as Craven tries to deal the death blow, J. Jonah Jameson hits him from behind and gets Peter out of there. So, Peter, and again, I, I need to point out, Peter's been separated from the symbiote at this point. Right. It's, it's, you know, it's it's really weird seeing, not in a, bad, in a bad way, but in a good way, it kind of, it's awkward seeing Peter and J.J., you know, J.J. Mm-hmm. Jonah Jameson, work, not J.J. Abrams, but J.J. Jonah Jameson, <laughs> right. <laughs> right. work together. Yeah. Like it's, it's. There was a really powerful line, though, in there, and I can't, I'm, this might not be exact, but he, I remember J.J.J. looked at Peter and said, why did it have to be you? You know, why yeah. did all this anger I've been focused on Spider-Man, why did it have to be somebody that I actually liked? Yeah. It turns out to be Spider-Man. So. Yeah, you know, it's almost like had I only known from the beginning, you know, I would have been on your side. So J.J.J. drives Peter back to New York where Black Cat and Triple J. You know, there was double J in wrestling. We got triple J. <laughs> So, but we also learn at this point that the Kingpin has leaked Peter's identity and the symbiote is in the Baxter building. Which is kind of a take on, excuse me, sorry to interrupt, but that's kind of a riff on what he did to Daredevil. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So we also see that the symbiote now is in the Baxter building making new symbiotes. Yeah. So things really pick up at the end of this issue. Yeah, I, I was definitely looking forward to once the reveal of, you know, more symbionts on the way kind of happened. I was really looking forward to the next issue. That's a great way to, you know, end an issue. Yeah. So issue number four, we see Peter in a classic Spidey costume now. He heads to the Baxter building, which has been engulfed by the Clintar. You see, like, the you know the black tendrils all the way around the building. Yeah. And... Peter makes a good point here that I often talk about when when Peter asks me about Venom. Again, Venom being the Eddie Brock version is my favorite Marvel character. And he he makes a point to say that the symbiote isn't necessarily evil. It's just heightened what he felt. And we've seen various writers over the years play with that. Is it the symbiote in control or is it the person wearing the symbiote? And you can come at that from different angles, but... The symbiote, that's why you never know what a character wearing that costume will do. Will it be something good? Will it be something bad? Because It's, it's, almost, just, it's kind of like, yeah. it's, it's the equivalent of, in a way, I don't want to undermine either one, but it's kind of like red kryptonite in a way. Mm-hmm. But I'll say this, you know, to kind of encapsulate what I said there, it's not easy to describe the way the symbiote is, but it's volatile. 
it heightens all emotions. Yeah. It makes them stronger. Whether those it's are why it's why with Eddie Brock and and with Flash Thompson, you know, Venom is this heroic figure now, mm-hmm. right? Because the the wearer is using it, you know, to what he wants to do with it, right? So yeah. So back to the issue here. Peter gets ready to go into the Baxter building, but before he does, he and MJ, they share the smoochy face. And the Avengers are on the scene. And Peter and Mary Jane and the Human Torch go inside of the Baxter building, where everyone is under control of the Clintar, including Ben Grimm, a.k.a. The Thing. So he goes clobbering time on Spidey for several panels. Was Cult of Personality playing in your mind? You that? <laughs> uh, so Spidey is eventually able to knock the thing outside. But we see back on the inside <laughs> that the symbiote has now bonded with Reed Richards. And outside now, we see that the children of the symbiote have, have bonded with the Avengers. So things got really bad at the end of issue number four. Yeah, uh, and, and it's just so cool seeing the Avengers controlled by the symbiote. Mm-hmm. Like that is just a, and the imagery of the way they look is really, really creepy and evocative. Yeah, well, and there's been some like, you know, venomized collectibles that have come out to show you, you know, eventually, you know, all these characters get... At least some version Damn of it, Don, you're going to make me get a Venom figure, aren't you? Right. Every time you start talking about figures, right. you, know, you coerce me into getting, what was it that I got? I can't remember what it was. You were mentioning it, then I'm like, damn it, I'll get it. And then I can't remember why, it, it escapes me. But By the way, check out my other YouTube channel. I just recently uploaded a video where I reviewed a 12-inch Venom figure. And yeah, and that's the one that's leading me to get a Venom figure, damn <laughs> I also showed where I got the autograph of David Michelinie on a couple of those figures, and you actually see a picture of me with David Michelinie. So. <clears throat> yeah, 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 yeah. It was good. It was a good video. Um, well, thank you, sir. Yeah, and like I said, those, those meant a lot to me. Those so. videos got him the job here, so, you know, if you want to see why, why I, we, what went through my thought process of hiring him, if, <laughs> if this podcast doesn't do it for you, like if it doesn't show you that, then check out the videos. You'll understand why. I... Yes. And don't forget to like and subscribe. That is the Emerald Enthusiast on YouTube. Okay. Yeah. So, shameless plug. Now, yeah, sure, back man. to yeah, issue number five. We see now that the Clintar <clears throat> Avengers make their way into the Baxter building. Now, the original symbiote, still on Reed Richards, tries to attack Mary Jane because he sees her as a stumbling block to Peter achieving his true potential. Yeah. Now, the Human Torch grabs Mary Jane, flies her out of the Baxter building, and Reed and the Avengers follow. So Peter tries to use the lab to figure out a plan to deal with the situation. Again, I like it. Peter using his intelligence. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a key aspect of Spider-Man, is that it's not always just about you know, fist and fury. Thank you. Intelli- <laughs> Anybody want to tell uh, MCU that? So Spidey realizes that Reed is actually, and the Reed, and I mean the, the Reed symbiote, 
is actually in control of the, the other. Yeah, the <laughs> is actually in control of the other Clintar. I think they even mentioned like a vampire type scenario where yeah. you know the main like the old pure blood vampire controls everybody he bites. Yeah. That that's what this scenario is. Is that that one symbiote's in control of everything? So basically, if you get rid of the original, you, mm-hmm. or if you handle the original, you'll handle the other ones. Right. You handle the entire bloodline. Yeah. Not not the one that you see on Friday Night SmackDown. The bloodline of the the symbiote. So, yeah, well, anyway. I mean, you should acknowledge also the the original symbiote because. <laughs> <laughs> acknowledge me. Uh, yeah. I can see I can see the symbiote saying that. Yeah. So. Peter goes outside. <laughs> um, actually, the Avengers—they're attacking—they're uh, attacking the torch. And Sue Storm, the Invisible Woman, she shows up, and she is trying to. Would you show? Uh, would you say she showed up out of nowhere? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't see her. Just <laughs> the so. John Cena of this equation. Oh, so they're trying to protect Mary Jane. So Peter comes outside and he offers the symbiote a deal. If you let Mary Jane go, then I'll permanently bond with you. So the symbiote agrees, but in the process, he's like, Reed Richards is too dangerous. So he kills Reed Richards before he tries to bond with Spider-Man. So Peter runs back inside the Baxter building and there's a bonding of a symbiote, but it's a forced bonding. However... We see that the heroes are one step ahead of the villains here because it's actually an image inducer and it's Johnny Storm, a.k.a. the Human Torch, who the symbiote has now engulfed. And that's a bad idea to an alien who is vulnerable to fire. Indeed. Yeah, so you see this huge explosion and, of course, the symbiote is killed. So what do you think of that, like, big moment there? No, No venom in this universe, no. Uh, Definitely not. So, um, I, I thought it was a clever plan. I, I really did. Um, and I'm like, you know, this is the stuff I want to see when I read a, a Spider-Man comic, and, and you want to see him. You want to see that combination of, you know, you want to see the swinging and the fighting and the and the and the quips, but you also want to see, all right, how can I use my intelligence to get me out of these tough spots? Because he's often in tough spots. So yeah. I, I I thought that was ingenious that you know he'd come up with that idea the, the image inducer and yeah and it yeah. also makes sense for what happens yeah. at the end like the decision made at the end of the book makes sense given the smarts of Peter Parker shows here and I also want to point out I want to you know give props to Chip Chip Zdarsky here because he has a good understanding of eddie brock too and i want to say one of the things you see after the 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 um the main battle is over you see that j jonah jameson and eddie brock are talking in a hospital mm-hmm. and j jonah jameson is like you know eddie you've done what i've done you've held on to your hatred for spider-man just like a drug addict but and, and this is this is word for word here he says you're worried that when the haze of the drug lifts You'll see what you've done with your life. You'll see yourself clearly for the first time. It's hard. You see that? And that's what I think a lot of people miss about Eddie Brock and Venom is that Spider-Man was just displaced anger. 
all of the all of the you know the the anger and the revenge that we saw with Venom at first, it it's not really about Spider Man. It's about Venom's uh, dissatisfaction with with his own life, and the fact that he's not the man he wants to be. Eventually, he does become that. He does become a hero. Mm. But so I I, I want to give Chip Zdarsky you know um, credit there for not making Eddie like just out for revenge and not seeing the fact that it's really about Eddie being unhappy with himself. Yeah, he's he, Chip Zdarsky's great, uh, and I can't say enough about his Daredevil run, which has been fantastic. So, uh, which we'll eventually cover at some point. But we've got we've got a lot of Daredevil to go through. So yes, sir. So. Uh, the main story wraps up with Sue Storm showing up and she offers Peter membership in the Fantastic Four to fill the void that Reed has left because he was killed by the symbiote. So this ends with Spider-Man as part of the Fantastic Four. Yeah, so I like that on a few fronts. Go ahead. One being, um, I like that Sue points out, you know, this wasn't your fault. Because she knows how Peter is and she knows that he would blame himself. So right, right away, she's like, everybody knows that this wasn't your fault. So don't blame yourself. And again, him sort of taking Reed's position in the Fantastic Four also makes sense because of the smarts and the wherewithal Peter showed in that final solution of how to deal with the symbiote. Mm-hmm. And also, how could he go back in this universe, in this set- setup? How could he go back to Spider-Man after all that happened? Right. That Well, that's a good point. However, there, uh, there's also an epilogue here. We see that Kingpin, who we thought was dead, is not. He's only mostly dead. There's a difference between mostly dead and all dead. So, yeah. <laughs> But he's actually alive, horribly disfigured, as you would expect. You know, The lower part of his face is gone. Yeah. But he's offered one of the lab-created symbiotes by James Wesley. So maybe there will be a sequel to this. I'd be down for sequel that. Ser- yeah, so... But yeah, that's a, that's a cool epilogue. Uh, and can you imagine the kingpin with a with, with the symbiote? Oh boy, yeah. that's gonna be bad news for the heroes of New York, right? <laughs> uh, but yeah, I overall I love this book. Uh, it does exactly what the what if concept should do. It it starts you off in a familiar place, and then takes wild twists and turns. And if they if they do their job right, you wouldn't have been expecting most of those twists and turn, turns, and I wasn't. So job. Uh, yeah, that's what you want. Out. That's what you want out of a series like this. Yeah. So, so yeah, what would, you, what would you rate it? Uh, we're rating it out of five. The whole series. Well, five for story and five for art. Okay, for story, I'm a story. I'm actually going to give it a five for art. I'm going to give it a four. There were a few things I don't like, like the way Rhino was drawn. But the art, in a lot of places, it was really good. Um, so art, a four, and writing, a five. I'm in the same boat. Five for the story and five for, uh, four for the art. Um, it was a really good uh, what if. And uh, a good way to kind of unofficially kick off our, our ramping up of Spider-Man and Venom coverage on the channel. So I thought it was a good a good uh, transition into that and we hope you enjoyed it um but uh if you want to talk uh more venom and spider-man before we cover more venom and spider-man with us you can on social media so donnie where do they track you down 
You can find me on Twitter as the Emerald Enthusiast. Let's talk comics. Let's talk collectibles. Let's talk Green Lantern. And if you want to chat with me, it's at Adam underscore Lease fan. Uh, we also have a channel specifically dedicated to the podcast in Vidcast, which is at MMNPDC. Um, and uh, we have a Facebook pay, uh, group. Uh, click the link below and we will add you uh, and we can continue the conversation on Facebook if you so choose. But in the meantime, we hope you enjoyed. And we want you to remember that Spider-Man, Venom, and um, Brock Ock is forever, from his first arm to his last. So long, everybody. Don't forget to subscribe.